Welcome back to the world of Old Krypton. I'm Russ Burlingame, one of your three super hosts. We are a little bit lighter than usual this week. But with me today are the charming and handsome. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah, I'm John Wilson. I'm another super host. Um, maybe the charming and handsome one should have gone first. Sorry. Go ahead, John. I, I, I was going to say, I'm glad the charming went first. So the handsome is next. I'm Jeffrey Taylor. <laughs> and we're talking about episode three, which is called The Rankless Initiative. And uh, it's funny because having watched all of these in kind of a bunch when the screeners came down, I, I, I have been re-watching, obviously, for the podcast so that I don't either spoil ahead or completely forget something. And last week's episode uh, dealt so much with the Rankless Initiative as a, like, concept – but didn't actually see the execution, and so for for a while I kept thinking that I had these episode titles backwards. Uh, okay, yeah, because it was all preparation and setup last time for what we actually saw executed today. Yeah, I was thinking that when when I saw the episode title, which I didn't even see until after I'd watched it, and I was like, "Did I watch the right episode?" <laughs> yeah, well, and it's it's funny because this one obviously actually centers around the Rankless Initiative, but last time. They said those words like 36 times, as opposed to this time, it was like they said it once and then they actually went to do it. Well, that's so that when you see the title of the next episode, you want to watch it. So that's why they mention it so many times. There you go. Exactly. Or so I would have you believe. The uh, the title of the next episode, I, in I, case – I don't have anything to back that up. The title of the next episode, in case it tells you anything of value and want, and gets you jazzed, is – the the uh, is it the voice of Rao, the word of Rao. Ooh, that's a good title. It is. Uh, but uh, okay, so let me get into a quick uh, synopsis before we get into the nitty gritty of the episode. Uh, this episode starts off with the hologram of Valel revealing to Adam Strange that Brainiac's Sentry, the little shell thing, had already been released, which means that. Inside of the little shell thing, there was an actual sentry that they didn't get last time. Uh, and someone else on Krypton already likely has been infect infected by Brainiac. The thing flashes back to three days ago when Rom, the woman who came to visit Seg at the end of last week's episode with the kid and the, the little rock with the House of El on it, uh, took a job as a scavenger in the Outlands and almost immediately gets essentially face-hugged by Brainiac's sentry. Uh, not, not knowing that. <laughs> That's exactly what I was expecting to was a face hugger type yeah. of thing. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, not knowing that team L sets about trying to find the host and cure them before the sentry can be fully active. Seg heads to the guilds to ask for Lita's help. Adam heads to Kem's bar to listen for rumors. Rome brings the Brainiac sentry to the market to sell it to a junk dealer. And my, my uh, synopsis got slightly delayed there because Spellcheck cha cha changed Rome to whom? I, I thought that that junk dealer was the same one who bought Adam's hat last time, but he doesn't seem to recognize Adam, so I don't know. I don't think that's the case. And it, Well, to be honest, I didn't either. Yeah. Without the hat, <laughs> so, you know. Uh, in any event, uh, the Vex clan face off with the voice of Rao, who is essentially demanding action on Black Zero and giving them uh, menacing ultimata. Uh, in the Rankless District, Lyda leads a strike where a civilian is killed, a Sagittari is arrested, and then two other Sagittari are killed when Rome suddenly finds herself 
fully possessed by Brainiac. Uh, this turns into a thing where they kind of have to let Lyda in on the secret because uh, they need to get Rome kind of deactivated and back to the fortress without the, the Sagittarii killing them or anything. But it's not... She's still not really in it. Like, she knows about aliens, but she doesn't know who the heck Adam Strange is or any of that stuff. Uh, you know, they they eventually figure out that, you know, this thing's active, Rome is infected, and they take her back to the fortress where they start trying to figure out what the next step is. And then the episode ends with the realization that not only has this sentry been active, but also Rome has been activated, and she's already sent her message to Brainiac, so he's already coming, and there's nothing they can do. I want to jump right in and mention that Rome, I like how you're pronouncing that, because we we have English actors, and it sounds almost like Rom. Yes. Not, yeah, R-O-M, read-only memory. It, 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 it's, it's, it's not that. There's an H, R-O-H-M, if you look it up on, on any website. And so, but Rome is really how it should be pronun- pronounced for, pronunciated for us uh, American English speakers, whereas the actual English English speech- speakers will say it Rom. Yes. At, at least when they're, when they're yelling it. And I also want to throw out there, as a you know, four-year Latin student, really good job on calling it Ultimata. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the Rom thing actually occurred to me because they were all saying Rom, 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 and I'm like, I'm going to go with Rome because that's how we would say it if we read it, and also exactly. because it differentiates from Rom the Space Knight. Yes, definitely, well, and and um, and not only that, but that's how Adam Strange would pronounce. Yes. It. Probably, I, I I assume, I'll, and it goes along with the fact that what you have here is you have Rome and Ona of House Quimby. Mm, there you go. <laughs> Please tell me someone gets the Ramona Quimby reference. Yes. I got it, and there I, we go. And I put my that's, that's <laughs> her name. As soon as I realized those were their names, I was like, Rome Ona, really Ramona? Nice. Okay, I, I didn't put together the Ramona, but I yeah, I did either. Um. So there are a handful of, of kind of interesting things that, that struck me in this episode. Uh, because we touched on or joked about the, the facehugger thing, something I wanted to point out is that when we get that first flashback and we see Rome interacting with the scout uh, or the, um, the sentry, I actually – the facehugger is like the obvious reference – but I also kind of wonder, especially because it took place in the snow and there's the parka and everything, if that was a visual callback to whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, where Lex picked up the Brainiac skull in the snow and was suddenly attacked by it. I don't think so. I don't think that has to do with it. You know, because um, as soon as um, Val L, mm-hmm. the, the construct in the fortress, explained how the Brainiac the Brainiac parasite works. My first thought had nothing to do with Rome or anybody else. My first thought was that it had already hit Adam Strange, which was not the case. Yeah, but I kind of like to see that happen. I mean, it's sad for him, but it's it would be awesome for the story. What I mean, what would it do if Brainiac learned about Earth? 
a couple hundred years before Superman was there to defend it. Yeah, and that's that, that's definitely a thing where, because of the nature of time travel, that's a stake that's been put out there. Exactly. I mean, it gives a better sense of uh, what's at stake for the viewers, mm-hmm. who are obviously Earthbound. Mm. I'll go ahead and say it. Anybody who's, who's listening to this was born on Earth, and you're not going to leave it. This, this is true. This is true. So maybe after the fact, if it could still... I mean, uh, something did happen to to this by the end. So what if it did end up affecting Adam Strange in some way or another? Or if Brainiac learned about Earth from Adam Strange, Mm -hmm. what would happen if Brainiac learned about Earth in the late 1810s or so? Yeah. Uh, Bad things, Jeff. Bad things would happen. And, are you are you sure by bad you don't mean good? Well, oh no 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 you're right sorry I, I was reading the wrong note. Maybe that's what uh, maybe that's what the Legends of Tomorrow <laughs> finale of next week happening in the 1800s is all about. That's that's probably it. they're probably tied together. Exactly. Can can, um, can I mention that that I'm not a fan of Kryptonian food? <laughs> yeah, those like not chicken sticks they were having. Those were not chicken tenders, and they had that giant like they were not they were not seasoned well. They had that like giant slimy bladder thing that he held out. I'm I'm, I'm kind of curious about, about the vegetables. Those looked good. Uh, another kind of an oddball thing that that stuck out at me in terms of you know obviously looking at this in terms of knowing the future. Uh, there's a beat in here where. He's trying to lie to Nyssa, and Nyssa calls him on it and says that he has to learn how to be a better liar. And his response is, I'm better with the truth, which to me just felt like mm-hmm. a truth, justice, and all that stuff. Uh, uh, I, I kind of take that as, you know, if you're going to lie, it needs to have a kernel of truth. Mm-hmm. But I, like, I, I do like that, you know, we talked about in the first episode how this show has a lot of Superman mm-hmm. without explicitly having Superman. Right. And so I like that, you know, Seg, despite his rough environs and, you know, having to do a lot to get by, he, at his core, is a well-intentioned guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and and I'm going to get into that a little bit later on in my notes, but uh, about Nyssa specifically... I'm still unsure about whether or not she's trustworthy. She's really playing both sides, and we as the audience do not net yet know what side she's on. All that I can say is that I want to see Nyssa turn out to be on um, on Segel's side and Lyda to betray him. I, I'll say this that about Nyssa. One of the reasons that I think she's both interesting and potentially dangerous is in this episode you see that she seems genuinely afraid of the voice of Rao. And so she and her dad are have the, all their own machinations going on and all this kind of stuff. But in my head, as soon as something goes wrong, she has the potential to screw anybody in order to save her and her dad's asses. Honestly, though, I would expect anyone in that culture oh, yeah. to be scared of the voice of Rao. And those who are higher up would probably have better knowledge about what explicitly would anger him. Because basically what you have in this is God is wrong yeah. in this episode. I mean, this whole, this whole what they call it, the, 
um, the Rankless Initiative. Mm-hmm. It's all a witch hunt. Right. It's a witch hunt instigated by the voice of Rao, inspired by off the top of their head lies that the L parents told. Mm-hmm. There is no Black Zero in Sector 19. But God said, go find it. Yeah. And the only person they arrested was one of their own. Which I actually, I, I, I think it's, it's interesting that other than Black Lightning, this is the first superhero show to deal with, like, officer-involved violence. Like, I, I, I have a really hard time believing that the, that Lyda taking a hard line and arresting these these trigger happy uh, this ha- trigger happy Sagittarii, and that the I can't breathe line are just coincidences. Yeah, no, I was no, completely with you there. And in fact, when I watched that, I thought, oh my goodness, that is really amazing that Lyda would jump in to say, no, you can't do this. I mean, uh, um, you're you're looking at it in a very modern mm-hmm. sense of things when. When I was watching it, my thought was Kent State. Yeah. Yeah, and that's... Elaborate? Jeffrey, do you want to... Can you elaborate on that? I'm sorry, I don't Let's get the Let's all talk reference. at the same time. I don't we were waiting for you, Jeffrey. I'm sorry. Kent State? Where uh, uh, the... Um, uh, National Guard the during the... Yeah, the National Guard was brought in to uh, quell a, a hippie demonstration, and they shot a ton of students. Oh, okay, yes, yes, I'm sorry. My brain wasn't going that far. Yeah, the, <laughs> what's the Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young song? <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh... So, um, yeah, one thing that I just want to throw out there right now, what I would find to be the most interesting thing for the end of the series at this point, mm-hmm. I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to do this every episode and come up with a completely different thing. Yeah. Best way to end the series at, at at this point is to have Segel and Nissa end up having a daughter whose name is Lara. Huh. Segel and Nissa giving birth to Lara. Giving birth to Lara. And being completely unrelated to Jorel. <laughs> okay, interesting. Um, so the I want to talk about more about the whole police mm-hmm. action here. All right, um, when they're going into this, Lida makes a huge speech. We are not out to kill Rankless, right? We're out to specifically look for Black Zero terrorists. No one fires on anyone without my authorization. And it's not just police brutality that you can read into that. It's like military paranoia. It's this whole racist zeitgeist that's been going on ever since 9-11 mm-hmm. and the post-9-11 paranoia that sprung up. I mean – we're going into a culture full of brown people, and if you think that they're an ISIS terrorist, you better be damn sure you're right before you fire on anyone. Because this is just a room full of people, not terrorists. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see an insurrection by the end of this season alone before we even get to Brainiac. I don't know if it'll be before we get to Brainiac, because I think obviously Brainiac is happening concurrently with all of these other events. Uh, I'm, I'm curious actually to see whether, for the sake of this TV show, 
part of what Brainiac looks looks for when he's scouting is essentially uh, instability or unrest that he can use to his ends. Yeah, and it would be kind of interesting if Brainiac were to take a look at Earth in around 1810 and say... Yeah, I mean, if he were to take over Adam Strange, like like we were talking about before, if he were to take a look at look back at Earth in around 1810 and say, "Oh, well, this place might be interesting," except they have very little in the way of real technology, right? And so maybe ignore it for that reason, but then take a look at it again now and say, "Oh yeah, this place is ripe for it." Mm-hmm. I mean, the technology is crap, but but I can I I I can use what little they have. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about a little bit, uh, John, because you mentioned the uh, uh, the speech that she gave ahead of time. Uh, something that's really interesting is that they mentioned Jack Sir when they were doing the prep before the Rankless Initiative. Uh, mm-hmm. We I kind of missed that line. What did they say about Jack? They Sir? said basically just that they don't have a credible photo of Jack Sir yet, okay. and then they showed a photo of another guy. Who is Colin Salmon from Arrow? Uh, the guy who played Walter Steele, Oliver's stepfather, and dis- oh, okay. they described him as uh, a new member of the thing that they didn't have any intel on yet. Basically, so you have the like the kind of dual mysteries of like who is Jaxer and who is this new guy that I thought are, are an interesting kind of thing to be examining. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I really, really, really liked Lida in this. Yeah. I thought she was a queen all the way through. Um, she fought for this place of power. Mm-hmm. And with a little bit of with a little bit of coaching from her betrothed, mm-hmm. she is using her power wisely, commandingly. And in the face of what could get her in trouble. Now, will there be backlash on her after this? Uh, yeah, I expect so. Because God is not going to be pleased next episode. Oh. As might be implied by the title. Yeah, also I'm really I'm really impressed by the fact that they've done a pretty good job of shaping up Dev M so far. In such a way that he is... Essentially, you know, part of the establishment, and he's not—he's the not seg part of Lyda's love life or whatever. But he's—he's like, he's not a bad guy. Even in this episode, even when he's violently disagreeing with Lyda and saying things that are objectively wrong in terms of his perceptions of the rankless, it still comes from an, a, a place of we have to have sanity, we have to have honor. You can't just ignore orders. Uh, so I'm, I'm really struck by the way that they've kind of drawn that character as a, a believable kind of career military person. Yeah, they, they've also very much set him up as somebody that even a straight man could look at and say, yeah, I might want to hit that. Yeah. <laughs> his eyes, though, his eyes are amazing. Yeah. And, and as, as, as they were talking, it struck me how different size their mouths were. Mm-hmm. Like, she has this little bitty mouth, and he has this larger mouth. And, like, if they kissed, I think, like, he might swallow her face. I'm not <laughs> sure. But, yeah, I, um, I, I actually had the exact same thought, but then, like, decided, I don't want to write that note down. Because it might come off as being, like, a 
big-lipped black person racist comment? Well, I, I think well, if you'd said it, it would have, Jeff. Which I'm not saying that... I that, think that, if you would said it, yeah. Doing. I'm saying thank you for making the comment for me, because I was thinking that. I'm going to stand behind the events that they're both people of color, and I'm just comparing yeah. their attributes. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I'm, I'm completely with you on that. Um, I, I was making the comment to say thank you for, for saying it, because I did think that, but I just didn't want to say it, because I didn't know how it would come off. Well, hopefully, I, hopefully, all of our listeners still love me and don't hate me. Um, guys, just a second. So I'm gonna. What's up with that? Just a second, guys. I gotta pause. Okay. What's up? Where's the hydrocortisone? Um. On my end table. Sorry, John. I do everything off the cuff. It, it was nothing against you to say <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> you're gonna get so much hate mail. No, no, no. You're you're really not. It's really okay. I'll listen through again when I'm editing, and if it's like if it strikes me as like oh that didn't come out right, then I'll I'll edit it out. But I think you're fine. If anything, edit out what I. That's what I was. That's what I'll probably. That's probably what I'll do is I'll just edit out what Jeffrey said, so it's never part of the conversation. That's all right. It's it is what it is. Uh, You weren't. You certainly didn't mean any harm by it. It's just a a, you know you know how it goes. Um, Sorry, what were you saying about Adam Strange, John? Adam Strange said, hey, this is a Zeta beam. I invented it. And my ears perked up on that because one of the things yeah. I've read in the last handful of years is some Silver Age Adam Strange. I've read his first half dozen adventures. He did not invent the Zeta beam. He accidentally got caught in one and said, what the hell is happening? Yeah. So I thought it was kind of interesting that A, he invented the Zeta beam. And B, they still didn't talk about how he's time traveling with it. Yeah, well, and, and again, even ten years ago, um, he was not the inventor of the Zeta Beam. I'm not sure when that became a thing. Uh, I mean, again, it may not be a thing. I think that certainly, I don't think that he's going to turn out to be like a bad guy per se. But I do think that like we've seen enough of him being this kind of cocky. Like again, I keep drawing the comparison to Booster Gold, but I, I feel I feel like he's the kind of guy who is willing to take credit for that because there's nobody here from Earth to correct me. Um, and so, to me, it's almost kind of like, I, I feel like there's an opportunism to it. I don't think that's a change in the canon. I think it's a, a change in Adam's character slightly, that he's willing to just go, oh yeah, this is my thing, I did that, I'm kind of a big deal where I come from. Yeah, I'm kind of a big deal. Um... I, I do have to say that when Rome turned out to be the one infected by Brainiac, that seemed like a little bit of a letdown because that seemed like what they were setting up that could have something around it that would not be the case, and it turned out to just be the case. Like, I, I, I thought it would have been really cool if, like, everybody thought it was Rome, but then it turned out to be the daughter instead. Yeah, I... Th- like, how awesome... That have been, uh, and 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 that's like the the next most obvious one. I really thought that was the direction they were going to go, especially once like once Rome actually started losing her shit and they like scurried her away to safety. I thought that what's going to happen here is that Rome's going to get killed, and then we're going to find out that the kid is somehow controlling the whole thing. Uh, so you you aren't alone. That's and the first I thing that, that came to my be head too. Better, I mean, it, it it it's just taking something that they set up to be the obvious thing. So that they could do something around that, but then no, they just went with the obvious thing, and and that's kind of too bad for me. Yeah, this this episode, if there's one strike against it, the, it is a bit on the predictable yeah. side. Yeah, um, I 
I will say some of that is through some deliberate camera work, things like focusing on the face of the woman who's going to mess up later in the operation. Yeah. Uh, we we meet the woman in the bar because she's going to be the one with the problems later. Right. But it ends up feeling predictable. I will say, too, uh, one thing I do like about using her is that it gives it gives uh, Seg and Kim a personal investment that makes the all life is sacred, we're not going to turn her over to the council, blah, 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 more kind of palatable and believable. Because, mm-hmm. like, at the end of the day, these guys are good people, but they aren't Superman. And in in a scenario where it was just some random I think person, Shag did a really good job being Superman. This no, time. absolutely. And again, like that's that's what I like about it. Like, I I like the fact yeah. that they they gave him a believable path to doing that thing. And I think that it's yeah, not just a moral stance. Yeah. Right, exactly. It's not just a moral stance, it's an emotional investment. Right. It wasn't just about taking the easy way, it's about correcting the wrongs and bringing justice and saving lives, and that is what Seg did mm-hmm. this time. He did not do that in the first episode. Right. And again, it's an evolution, because we saw in the second episode that he made the deliberate choice not to, you know, not to try to kill uh, Darren Vax. Right. And but, at the same time, I, I will throw out there that, that the woman—I'm I'm blanking on the actress's name—but the woman who played who played Rome mm-hmm. did an amazing job, not just by having contacts in, but doing an amazing job oh, yeah. with that that role. Yeah, and that's that's a really hard thing to sell. I mean, I, I think about the number of times, whether it's on even just looking at co- comic book shows, but like whether it's on Constantine or on Supergirl or on whatever, where you see people who are either possessed or under mind control or under, you know, on, in Supergirl's case, Brainiac control, because they had, uh, what's her name, Laura Vandervoort. And so often, the the performance itself doesn't quite feel right. Like, it feels too much like a performance. You watch them and you're just like, this person doesn't look like she's under control. It looks like she's acting. And in this one, I thought she did a really good job of kind of becoming, you know... And part of that could be, honestly, that we'd seen so little of Rome that we didn't know what her default mode was. And so, you know, possibly part of the reason that... It, like, it was a good performance, but also we didn't know what to expect from her, so it was even more more impressive. I'm really sorry. I need to pause for just, like, two minutes. That's fine. My My dog who was sick last week is now drinking so much water that he has to go out every five minutes to pee. I'm going to be right back. Sure. Um, side note. Uh-huh. I was talking to my dad and uh, he listens to a lot of podcasts right. and he has talked to a few people about how to podcast and stuff. So um, when the crowd is bigger than say three, uh-huh. He suggested using the texting space mm-hmm. as a way of people sa- signaling that they want to chime in. Mm-hmm. So rather than trying to talk over each other or trying to get a word in edgewise between breaths, yeah, um, people could chime in. And then somebody, whether, whether you or whatever, could say, oh, and then what were you going to say, Laura? Yeah. Or whatever. It's just an idea. Yeah, no, it's a good idea. I know that you you've been doing this for a long time, and I've haven't been out. I've been out of the wheel for a while. Well, I'm I mean, going to try to implement that next time I have a lot. It it is, but also it's it's helpful because it's a helpful kind of recommendation because I have been doing it for a long time. But most of the shows that I'm on 
our groups are fairly cohesive groups that have been working together on and off for a while. And so mm-hmm. this this group is a little bit different because once you get over three, it does get a little unwieldy. And that hasn't been a problem like on Archie Digest because we've done 100 episodes together. But uh, on here, it can be a little bit more of a problem because we don't all have each other's rhythms down yet. You're just talking about me jumping in on everybody? No, we're just talking generally. His dad, who was listening to the episode, was recommending that uh, we should have, when we have, like, more than three people on, that I should have, like, the text space open and act more as an MC where I can, if somebody wants to jump in, instead of trying to talk over the speaker, they can essentially ping me and I can direct the conversation. Because you have to have some sort of traffic cop at some point mm-hmm. whenever the whenever the group gets to be a certain size, and that was just his way his, his suggestion for how to do that. No, it's a pretty good it's a pretty good suggestion. A group that's pretty big, I'm, I'm going to try to remember to do that. Yeah, and again, like yeah, when it's did, when it's a certain size for sure. But uh, a, a lot of it, I mean, I just have a hard time where I have something like that I really want to talk about, and then everything else gets talked about and like I, I just want to talk for one second about that thing we talked about 45 minutes ago, real <laughs> quick, and then so. All right. Uh, so it, it 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 depends on on the size. Uh, a group of three is really good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a group of three is easy. We can we can you know give and take really easily. Yeah. Four is um it is is on that verge, but let's five is right out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do I do like having four just in in terms of variety. But it's 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 a big jump Definitely. in terms of the pain in the ass to deal with from going from three Hold to four. Up. Come on. Come on. Back inside. Good boy. We were talking about um, Rome. <clears throat> yes. Rome, the character, just the way she was written, the way she was introduced mm-hmm. into the story, reminded very me, reminded me very much of Chris Claremont's writing style whenever he would bring in side characters. Because what Chris Claremont, who, for those who don't know, wrote the X-Men for 17 years and kind of defined that concept, um, one of his techniques that he would do is he would bring a character into a scene. He would do a little bit of somewhat first-person narration. This is Candy Summers, you know, a little bit of backstory, a little bit of what she was doing this morning, why she's here, what her current emotional state is. So you get you get you get to know this person for like a page before she gets killed on the next page. Yeah. And that's very much how Rome I felt was being written here. We got her daughter, we got her She's obviously poor. She's in straits. She has. She's a friend of Seg and Seg's friend in the bar, whose name escapes Kim. me. Dag? Kim. Kim. Um, and, and, and it helps that she was introduced last episode, right? I did not remember her from last episode. They were just in that oh, yeah, last she scene. Was, she was the mom with the daughter when they came with the rock okay, and said, "We're so sorry about your parents. Here's a rock with the House of L on it." Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. I am going to have to watch this entire series over again when it's done because I have a feeling it's going to have some really high rewatch value, and also we're not seeing final cuts of episodes. Yeah, so. yeah. There, there's a lot to go on with a lot of these episodes, and there were times when Russell was going through his uh, synopsis. I was like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> 
I mean, I've got my notes in front of me, and I just watched it, but I feel like I need to watch it again. When we, when we did the, the episode for the pilot, I had to watch that twice, because the second time was when I took notes. Mm-hmm. But I've been watching them once each to take notes, and I'm kind of feeling like if I'm going to come back next week, I want to rewatch the first three. Yeah. Just be sure that I'm really up to date with everything, because, because there's a lot of complexity. And that's part of it, as I've seen. And it's not for, a bad idea. For, for those... For those people out there listening, yeah, we're helping you out with that. But go ahead and re- rewatch if you can. Yeah, well, and there are some things, too, that are going to have huge rewatch value because as I'm watching, and A, I have seen the first five already, and, and B, I've seen these three, like, three times now because of uh, the way that I have to do stuff for work. It's like, I already, there are things that happened in 1 and 2 that after 4, you see completely differently. And I, even having seen all that, I am not going to sit on the podcast and tell you, oh, by the way, you should really watch out for this moment, wink, wink. Uh, and, and so, there's already kind of discussions that we did not have that are going to be, like, I'm going to rewatch before next week, because next week is the first of two episodes in a row where, like, you get little color in the background that changes things, and uh, it'll, it'll be valuable to kind of go back and make notes and be like, oh, yeah, you remember this scene? That's what this probably means. You know what I mean? Interesting. Okay, I, I, okay. I do get what you mean. At the same time, there is a part of me that... Even though I'm taking a look at this show as something that is on the sci-fi channel that could potentially hold up this sort of show for multiple seasons, I have to stop and remember that this is a niche within a niche kind of show. And don't get me wrong about that because I do a podcast that is a niche within a niche within a niche. Yeah. So and and that and that has an audience that is sustainable. But I'm not positive that this show is sustainable beyond season one. Because this is, you need to number one, be a Superman fan. If you're not a Superman fan, you're not going to watch Krypton. Well, let, let, you need let's to be interested in Krypton from the Krypton idea of Superman. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what kind of numbers we're getting, especially by episode three. And I, I'm not positive that this is something that will sustain another season. I so, think it should, but I don't know that it's going to. So there's the question of who is coming into this show to watch it, and then who is going to stay for this show, and then also who is going to be drawn in by word of mouth. I think you have three different kind of groups of people there. Um, I think that, yes, you definitely are going to have the Superman fans coming in for the first episode. Just like when Battlestar Galactica came out, you had the Battlestar Galactica fans coming in for that miniseries. But then as that series went on, its audience grew beyond that initial you know, subset I, I, because of how solid the show was. I will also say that I haven't seen the Live Plus 3 numbers for this week yet. And obviously last week the Live Plus 3 numbers were phenomenal. But I do know that the actual same-day numbers dropped by, like, 5% from the preview – or from the pilot to the second episode. And, 5% is not bad. Well, it's, it's, really it, it's, it's great for sci-fi. I mean, when you look at Happy, which they were actually pretty 
pleased with the way it performed throughout the season, it lost about half of its audience between episodes one and two. Again, this does not belong on network, but it's it could do great on sci-fi. It all, it all depends. I think it, it lost. What were the numbers that Happy lost? I, I can't remember the exact, but I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were telling me that it lost about somewhere between 35 and 50 percent of its total audience between episodes one and mm-hmm. two. And it didn't continue on that trend. It, it leveled out at episode three. But that, you know, if you're going to assume for the sake of argument that the trend is relatively similar. And, you know, let's look at Supergirl as a for instance. Supergirl had a huge drop between episodes one and two of its first season because a lot of people tuned in simply for the, the super of it all. And then once they saw it, they were like, oh, okay, fine, I've seen it. And... So it didn't have the same, like, that audience did not stay with it in huge numbers that, you know, and that's, that's, it does fine on, on the CW, but, but part of that is that it doesn't have to have CBS kind of numbers to stay alive. Uh, but, so I think there was definitely a very real risk between the fact that sci-fi's last comic book show literally dropped almost half its audience between episodes one and two, and the fact that the last Superman-related show also did that exact same thing. Like, there was a real risk that you'd look at Krypton and say, oh yeah, our 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 day and date viewing is going to drop by 40%. And okay. that didn't happen. But at the same time, can uh, j- just to preface this, can I rely on the two of you to acknowledge me as a hardcore Superman fan? Sure. I think I think we could all acknowledge each other as that. Yes. Okay. As a hardcore Superman fan, I was not even interested in watching this show when it was announced, when there were trailers or anything, mm-hmm. until I saw the first episode and realized, oh, this actually could be a really good show. Right. I was not interested in it. I was not going to watch it. I, I watched it because of doing the first episode of this show. I'm really enjoying it now. I hope that other people are really enjoying it. I I, I hope that other people are enjoying it, even if I was not watching it. But I was not planning to be watching it because I just didn't have any hopes for mm-hmm. it. So, what does that what does that mean? I mean, does that represent hardcore Superman fans? No, it it, it, doesn't, it doesn't represent anybody other than me. Just that okay. I am a hardcore Superman fan who wants to watch Superman on TV, and I was not expecting anything out of this and it turns out that it's actually really good and the the only reason that i know why it's really good is because i've been watching it in the preparation of doing this podcast and i don't know that it's going to last beyond that because i know that a lot of people are not going to be watching it for the exact same reasons that i was not originally watching it Mm -hmm. or hopefully hopefully. planning to watch it I guess it's easy, it, it, it would be easy to, to, to say that these are going to go one way or the other, but really all we can do is, is hope. Um, I would like to think that as word of mouth spreads about the quality of the show, that those who did not tune in say, oh, maybe I'll go check that out. And, and we, we, we also have the binge watch phenomenon now, so people who are not necessarily watching it week to week on sci-fi might stream the hell out of it once it hits the entire season on Netflix and or Hulu and or whatever sci-fi streaming service they launched in 2019. Sci-fi is so strange because in my experience, at least they've been really, they, they go to Netflix, but it takes a long time. 
And uh, so when when you have a show like, say, Winona Earp that got really great reviews from the five people who watched it, uh, (laughs) it it hit Netflix like the week before season two started. And I had really enjoyed it, and I really like Bo Smith, and so I had told some people to check it out. But it was like, you literally couldn't binge it before season two started. And then you kind of look at that, and the the opposite of that to me would be something like Riverdale, where Riverdale was a bubble show for all of season one. But then it exploded in streaming, and they launched, they put it on Netflix like two weeks after the season ended. So then people had four months to acclimate to, oh, I'm a Riverdale fan now, and prep for the season premiere. So uh, the streaming numbers, or the uh, not the streaming, the binging numbers are going to be really interesting on Krypton. But also, I don't think the, the binging numbers will have any any effect on whether or not it gets a second season because sci-fi waits so damn long to put things on on Netflix that I I suspect the second season would also already have to be well into production. That's also part of my worry, and. That's why I'm kind of thinking, and Russell, you may want to edit this part out. I think that at least the three of us should put together a trailer that can air on the next episode of From Crisis to Crisis. Yeah, I can do that. Happy, happy to, happy to help with that. But that's a good idea. Um, and let me actually make notes of both the thing that John's dad said and the thing you just said before we get back into the show. <laughs> sure. And and I'm dead serious. If the three of us do it, I mean, all three of us have been on the show, and we can just say they're our guest hosts. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's uh, this is a very. It's not even technically its own podcast. It's like a subset of my comics podcast because I'm too cheap to pay sure. for a podcast that I'm only going to actually publish two ten times out of the year, and then I'll have to pay for the next t- ten months. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, write but, up a thing that yeah, says what the podcast I'll, is and, and that this is what we're doing right now yeah, and I'll, that your co-hosts are me and John and with guest hosts including Michael Bailey and I, I'm i really sorry, I don't remember the woman from last uh, week. Jenna, Jenna Anderson. Yeah, and, and we'll just yeah, know, keep going I'll, from there. I, I'm intending to be back next week. I'll write, a, I'll write a pass at it and send it to you guys tomorrow because obviously you guys have written trailers a lot more than I have for this kinds of stuff. So, huh, I'm. I don't write trailers. I just occasionally get an idea for a trailer, and I do that idea. Man, I'm. If I don't get an idea for a trailer, it doesn't. Happen. I am. The, I'm the worst at promoting this stuff. Like I, I, I don't do the editing. So I come up with ideas and send them to Michael, and he does something yeah. else. So. <laughs> My my whole idea for for a trailer we're going to be doing a trailer for from crisis to crisis for when we come back yeah. to real, in which is apparently in May. I thought we were coming back like next week. Oh, okay. But, um, we're apparently coming back in May for for real, and uh, we're going to do a trailer for that. And so I had this whole idea of what we could do, and he said, "No, let's do this instead." And I said, "Okay." Mm-hmm. So that wasn't a real launch that y'all did just now. The one that just came out. I haven't oh, listened to it. That was the first episode <laughs> it w- yeah. of our comeback. And then we come back weekly starting in May. Okay. Which is actually... So I thought we were coming back weekly right away, but we're coming back weekly in May, so instead of having eight episodes in the can, we're going to have like 10, 11, or 12 yeah. in the can. So we're going to be going to the end of the year. Okay. Which is actually what I did with the Psych podcast was that when I when we started running, we uh, 
we started it on the anniversary of the pilot date and released a podcast of the pilot. And then, because that was like two weeks into us recording, we didn't record anything, or we didn't release anything else for about another two months. But it was like, we have this pilot that, you know, 125 people listened to, not knowing what the hell we were. And then, once we come back with a real show, then people were, it was easier for people to find us, because the pilot was already, like, on iTunes and all that kind of crap. Yeah, and and, uh, when... I I honestly thought I didn't know until Michael posted it yesterday that uh, when the show came back, it also had a little thing at the end saying regular posting beginning in May. And so I had to text him and say, wait, we're coming back in May? I thought we're coming back now. And he's like, no, we're coming back in May. Huh. I said, oh, okay. Well, we can mention that at the end of the show. So. Okay. All right. Uh why don't we hop back in? Uh, one thing I did want to note, and this is again kind of a weird trivia thing, but I thought was interesting. When Daxamite, yes, the Daxamite hunting blade. Uh, yep. Oh, I didn't hear that. Okay. It, yeah. Um. The, the the black market trader who took the Brainiac thing from from Rome. Mm-hmm. Meant, um. When he met up with Adam Strange, and Adam Strange was trying to like buy something from him but didn't know exactly how to explain it, he started mentioning these different things that he had. And uh, so Adam Strange said something about, oh, I need something that's metallic. And so he held up a blade and said, this is a a real Daxamite blade. And he may have, he said like three things. And the third one may have also been some other reference. Yeah, but his accent, yeah, his accent heavy is heavy. I, I had the exact same experience. But yeah, the Daxamite hunting blade stuck out to me because I was just like, hey, wait, there's Daxamites on Supergirl, right? now <laughs> and that that is just one of the the other dc mm-hmm. alien races that they are similar to kryptonians in a lot of ways yes and in this in the case of supergirl they actually are kryptonian they basically got blasted away and then formed their own society and then essentially became a warring sister planet to krypton before everything blew up yeah, but it's not just that, that they can't see through lead. Right, exactly. In that case, their kryptonite is lead, uh, which yeah. uh, is un- unfortunate for them because really it's it's much more common on Earth than kryptonite is. And we know all the radiation and, that lead gives other gets parts off. of the universe, too. It's true. Uh, although, uh, once again, talking about Legends of Tomorrow, this week's Legends of Tomorrow very clearly featured kryptonite. Um, they, <laughs> they didn't actually call it that, but the... Uh, they have all these totems, and it's like earth, wind, water, fire, or whatever. And the earth totem is a dead ringer for Lex Luthor's kryptonite necklace on the chain from Superman the movie. Nice. I I want to join a sex cult that worships meteor rocks, so... Well, I'm sure... It's- Sorry, probably, probably way too much current event stuff in that for a lot of our <laughs> listeners to catch up to, but... I'm sure there's a lot of it going on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the Daxamite thing caught me, caught me, uh, made my ears perk up a little bit. I, Same here. I also, again, part of the reason I think that probably Adam Strange is not, or probably that vendor is not the same one Adam Strange sold the hat to is not cause he, not just cause he didn't recognize Adam Strange, but because when Adam Strange stole from him and then immediately ran to the bar for cover, the guy didn't put two and two together in spite of the fact that last episode, the guy was clearly friends with Kem. Well, he Adam Strange does look 
fairly nondescript in terms of Krypton. It's true. I just and yeah, I could once you take that hat off him, he just kind of looks like he could be anybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I had a couple of thoughts on Seg and Lida mm-hmm. in this episode. Yeah. So initially, actually throughout, Seg is very bossy of Lida. Like, you know, he he condemns her for going out and fighting the guy. Now, obviously, he's going to be concerned for her safety because he because he likes her. But whenever I see a uh, intergender dynamic, I try to think of how it would play if they were swapped. And if he risked his life, or generally speaking, in a story, if a guy risks his life in order to get advancement and ends up having to kill a higher-up in order to get advancement, that is just the way things are, and that is how things go. So she did this, and he's all like, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have gone out there. And I just, you know, it's her career. It's her life. It's her choice. She And, she, and she's fine. It's not like she went and did this and lost, and you can like say, "Oh, the 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 bad choices that you made." She she did what she had to do to get up in her job, and she won. Why isn't he just proud of her? I think a lot of that is. I think they're building Lyda's character in such a way that her mother looms very large, not just in her family, but in this society. And I I really do believe that. Even the people who know her and believe in her and care about her probably have a semblance of the same feeling that her mom does, which is that she's kind of this delicate flower. I think that Lyta will, in the end, become the 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 villain of the story, or, or at least of this season, not of the entire series necessarily. And I think that Nyssa will become the the hero that Segel needs to glom onto because it's so unclear what Nissa is up to. Yeah, there's I'm really interested to see as that starts to unravel a little bit more. I'm I'm not 100% sold that Lyda will be a villain. I do think that the fact that she's got the name Zod uh immediately puts you in this this place of expectation. And I'm, yeah, I hadn't actually even thought about that. I'm yet. kind of hoping. Yeah, as soon as you started to say that sentence, I was like, "Oh, that's right." It's like, "Oh, yeah." And, and in fact, it would be great if she was the villain of this season, but then the hero of the next season, or the hero by the end of the series. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that we were talking about when we were on set. Is that one of the ways that you could continue this premise beyond season one? Is to have like the phantom zoners show up in season two and be like, okay, well we're not going to destroy the planet. We're going to save it because then it's still the same outcome for earth and it's still the same outcome from Ad- for Adam strange, but it would then be a totally different dynamic in season two. I also think they should bring back the green death in season two. Oh yeah. I, I can't imagine. Which is of course kryptonite yeah. in case anybody doesn't know. Yeah. We talked about that last time. I, I can't imagine we've seen the last of that, especially now that it's been mentioned. I mean, again, in the pilot, they mentioned the Beasts of the Outlands, and uh, I kind of feel like that's Doomsday. 
Yeah, and, yeah, because they knew they was going to have a role in the story. They've already talked about. Yeah, that. and and so to me, I, and of course, that's doomsday. Like in his origin, he was built in like those remote wastelands that are basically like what we see in the Outlands here. Uh, right, and and they could do it and just kind of speed things up afterwards because they don't have to deal with right. it. Right, because uh, because you know Doomsday left Krypton hundreds of thousands of years ago in the comics, but in this case he could be you know a a problem for Krypton and then be thrown off Krypton and still be pretty much the same Doomsday that that we know of from the death of Superman. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I think one thing that'll be really interesting is seeing whether or not Brainiac and Doomsday interact in this, because obviously Doomsday and Brainiac. First of all, there was the Doomsday Wars, and so Brainiac at one point possessed Doomsday. But even beyond that, again, when you when you talk about like Brainiac getting terrible, terrible thoughts in his head. Just the just the knowledge of the existence of something like Doomsday seems like the kind of thing that Draniac should not have. Yeah, and, and in fact, wouldn't it be amazing if Draniac came to Krypton to try and take it over, but it ended up being Doomsday that stopped Draniac? Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that wouldn't entirely shock me. It would be a really cool kind of subversion of expectations but as soon as like as we're like talking about this i'm like that that's a totally plausible thing like using doomsday as a weapon on either side of this conflict but of course it's also fraught because whoever tries whoever brings a gun like that out the chances are it goes off in your hand right that would be the third act of the story yeah but at the same time based on what they did with rome as the the brainiac sort of sort of conduit, I don't think that that's what we should be expecting. No, but again, I I, I like because I I I don't think that they can do subversion in that way in the in their storytelling at this point. I, I like to play with like I I like to tease all these things, and part of that I think is because I write about the Arrow shows for a living, and those guys love their you know twenty twenty episode long uh, twisty things. But that's why I watching. But I, you know, so for me as somebody who watches these kinds of shows, one of the things that I find myself constantly doing is working the Rubik's cube of these plot developments in my head and being like, what could they do? What might they do? What would be interesting? I do, do you the think same it's a thing, but, that but in terms the, of um, comic books that take place over years. Yeah, there you go. What were you saying, John? Do you think it's a coincidence that the um, the the deadly energy that was eating up Rome and everything that it was green? I mean, we were talking about Krypton a few minutes yeah, ago. Yeah, it's really hard to say yeah. because obviously the other side of that is that Brainiac is traditionally green too. Oh, that's true. He is. You're and right. so it's it's that's probably what it was referenced to. It, yeah, so it's it's a tough it's a tough call though because obviously and again like the the reason that we got off on the Doomsday thing is because talking about the Green Death being mentioned last week. I feel like there's very little, and it goes back to this kind of compact storytelling, the idea that we have a whole TV season in 10 episodes. I don't think there are many lines that are wasted, and I think a lot of the time things that feel like a throwaway or an Easter egg will end up being something. And so I wouldn't entirely uh, dismiss the idea that either Brainiac is tied to or manipulating or whatever the Green Death 
But at the same time, we also have all of these Kryptonian figures, especially the ones that are that are parts of guilds that have these sigils on their chest. What we have not seen yet that I could swear I saw somewhere in the advertising is the Brainiac symbol, the Superman uh, uh, animated series sigil that's the three green dots. I believe we have seen that in the advertising, but I don't recall whether that was actually like and this isn't just me speaking of right this minute this is me speaking of like thinking ahead at the next two episodes i don't recall if that's footage i've seen in the tv show or if that might have been something that was like created as part of the advertising campaign because to people who watch this show though that's that symbol means something yeah and and and, as somebody who has followed superman for so many years one of the things that I would like to see, and I'm just, I'm, I'm gonna keep doing this, things that would be amazing to see somewhere on the TV screen is what if Brainiac turned out to have been from Krypton way before this and come back? I, uh, so they have, they have that whole sigil thing and Brainiac symbol because he was created on Krypton, just like in Superman the animated series, had that, had a similar sigil, but it's just the three green dots. It's interesting. I mean, Superman the that animated series is, is like, three, I don't know. Yeah. It's one of many, many, many interpretations of, of, of Brainiac. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they go with that one or not. Um, what I'd my be last most interested in the scene. That's all. My last note that I had uh, goes back to Lida and Sag. Actually, before I say that, one of the have they in this version of Krypton because they did it in Man of Steel, and we've talked about how like genetics are kind of pre-planned and stuff. Have they elaborated the idea that everyone is like genetically engineered for their job? In this story, because it seems like if that were the case, you wouldn't have rank. No, it, yeah, it, it's certainly implied because they have the thing where you go to the Genesis Chamber and it tells you this part, your son is going to be part of this rank, blah, 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 or part of, the, part of this guild, and he's going to live 200 years and whatever. Uh, however, I did have that same question watching this episode. I was like, wait, do the rankless have access to the Genesis Chamber or are they just having sex or what's going on there? Oh, is that, is that a nobility thing? Mm-hmm. Is having the is having the uh, the Genesis Chamber a nobility thing? Well, they did say something about how like wasn't there something about how we used to do this differently a long time ago? Yeah, in the pilot, Nissa. Because remember, I Nissa in the pilot said it's so strange that our ancestors used to carry children in their wombs. It seems so primitive. And then, like the very next scene was the two of them was a uh, Lyda and Sag having sex. And at the time, I was like, wait, that seems like. Potentially Jor-El. Um. Yeah, that, that that's borrowing very much from the Man of Steel movie, which was borrowing from the John Burr Man of Steel from 1986. Yeah. The, the whole idea that uh, people don't actually carry – well, women don't carry their children to the point where they birth them. And so it's it's really unclear at this point exactly how they go about doing it because the version that we saw in Man of Steel looked much more like the the, the kind of version where everybody is essentially a communist. Mm-hmm. It's and and um, I think there's a distinct possibility that what you are seeing here is that this is essentially the first generation 
where this has been standard. And so the poor people, like they haven't really started to think about like how the hell do we get more poor people? Like who's going to, who's going to operate the machinery if we don't have the rankless in the Genesis chamber? I can't. That's why they need to create Kellex. There you go. So it, it's possible that the rankless were not from the Genesis chamber, or it's possible that in the Genesis chamber, they have their classist society already lined out. Right. And so you have, you know, the high and mighty and the low and lowly. Okay, well, that's that's just kind of a side note. Um, and for some reason, so, you need a codex to set that all up, which can be implanted into a person. Yes, into their cells, written into the DNA of their cells. Right, um, and I'm willing to buy into that, but just because I have to. <laughs> so at the end of the episode, whenever Seg is saying, Lida, trust me. Mm-hmm. Now give me the super powerful weapon. It's okay. I know what I'm doing. Um, Lily and I, my daughter and I were watching, and she had real issues with Lida deciding to trust Seg. Because based on what she knows, and especially based on their earlier interactions in the episode, she had no business trusting him. And if the genders were reversed... And if, you know, the pretty girlfriend were saying, oh, come on, trust me, it's okay, we would all be saying, stop thinking with your other mind. Yeah. You know, do what you know you should do. And so it's a little bit I think you have a, problematic that she gave in to him. I think you have a little bit more leeway, and I don't disagree, but I do think uh, that you have a little bit more leeway here because of the fact that We've seen already that Lyda is aware of the flaws inherent in the current system. And so I think that, that Lyda, we have this sense that she has her own kind of series of events playing out in her head. And I, I, to me, it's kind of like, I do agree that, that there was, it's a bad idea to just trust somebody in that situation, especially in a, in a world where they just seem to kill people for no real good reason. But I, I, I didn't feel like it was a weakness on her part. I felt like it was more a matter of she believes that Seg is capable of helping make the world the kind of world that she's trying to make it. I think I feel like it's a calculated risk and that, yes, he's using the language of trust because these are people who have a deep emotional connection. But I feel like as much as she's being dictated by romantic feelings, she's also being dictated by the fact that she knows the kind of person he is and that she would rather run the risk of personal sacrifice in order to build a Krypton that she wants to see rather than, you know, hiding behind orders. Uh, And that's kind of, that's kind of where I personally came down it. Like, that that request and her giving into that request was built on previous dynamics, right? And previous years of their relationship, not just on the mo- the 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 impulse of the moment, right? Exactly. Um. So yeah, but their their relationship in this was really really solid, and I think it's intriguing. You mentioned earlier. Remember, she is a Zod. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Smallville where Clark and Lex were friends. And we all knew from the first episode that they were destined to become enemies. And it's interesting when you have a dynamic that 
is usually destined to become enemies, but the players are different. Mm-hmm. So you don't know how much they're going to do analog. Yeah. And how much they're going to mix it up. Yeah. It's kind of like Lena and Supergirl right now. Are they going to stay besties? Is Lena going to go bad? Is it going to be the exact same arc as Swan, though, but we don't see it coming? It's hard to say. Yeah, it's and, and it's really interesting to me with Lyda because the other wrinkle to that is that because we know, or not know, I wouldn't say, but in many versions of the story, Jor-El and Drew Zod were friends, or at least friendly, before the kind of rift that tore them apart in a dramatic way. And so it almost feels like they could soft pedal it with Lyda because it doesn't, she doesn't, even at the end of the series, there's nothing that says she has to be opposed to them because theoretically Jor and Drew could be the Lex and Clark. They could be the ones that grow up together and are friendly until they're not. It doesn't have to be this mm-hmm. generation. Right. So it's it's an extra kind of layer, even more kind of removed than uh, than Lena, because at least well, like with Lena, she's a total wild card. Like there's there's nothing coming out the other side that you know for a fact to be true. Whereas in a lot of ca- in a lot of and again not all, but a lot of the the mythologies, the part of the reason that Zod's betrayal is so dramatic is because he and Jor El had at one point seen eye to eye. I'll be curious to see when that develops in my Superman read through because mm-hmm. it definitely was not a Silver Age concept. I th- and I have yet to meet Zod in the Bronze Age to to see if if there's anything going on there. I feel like it may have been a burn thing, uh, but it certainly has carried over into other media. Yeah, when when it comes to uh, the the idea of you know, I mean, Zod was always a villain, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, the whole idea of Luther and Clark being friends as a child, that's entirely Superboy. It's entirely in the Silver Age until you have any kind of flashback or any kind of – like by the time you get to Smallville, obviously, that, that was the entire basis of the story, at least for the seven seasons that they intended. I, 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 I'm sorry. Maybe I got the pronouns confused, but I was talking about jor and Zod. Yeah, uh, jor and Zod, same thing as uh, – they, they, they became an analog for Superman and Lex, or Superboy and Lex, rather. So basically what you're saying is that sometime between the Bronze Age and Burn, he's going to start to see that popping up in his reading. Right, but what I think that, that uh, this show could do differently is have Lyda appear to be the Zod-Lex sort of mm-hmm. standard that you're looking for, but then turn out to be the real... You know, sort of a hero of the not the hero, but right. the side hero of the story, who would come back and actually make a difference. I like. I, I really like that idea, and to me, doing that would be so much more interesting than just making her like, well, she's Zod, so she's bad. And so I, I, I'll be interested in seeing how it plays out. And I do think that they've given each character enough moral flexibility that I could believe a scenario where any of them are good or any of them are bad at this point. Uh, I'd like to see them take the risk. 
so yeah. that they set her up by the end of season one to be the villain and have Nyssa be the one who's going to help them and then by the end of the series turn that around. But if they take the risk and do that by the end of season one, hoping that they have a season two to turn that around, I would like to see them take that direction. I also I have very particular opinions at this point about where I think she will end up uh, based on other things that I've seen or that I know. And so when those when the time is appropriate, we can kind of talk more about that. And so I'm trying to compartmentalize all these remarks to being like, this is like when I was watching episode three, this is what I was thinking. <laughs> right. Gotcha. And at the same time, since we uh, since we're talking about just this episode alone, can I point out some of the problems with the the economics of this Kryptonian society <laughs> that that even the black in the black market you have to have a chip card yeah <laughs> also it can be very easily tracked also i will say also the black market is an actual market yeah that too well here's here's the thing that i will say and is Going all the way back to the first episode, I've never understood how we're supposed to understand the credits slash solars to dollars, essentially. Like, obviously there's not a one-to-one translation, but the there are items that seem to be totally out of perspective in their cost to other items that have already been stated. Like, the guy wanted 2,000 solars for the, uh, the Brainiac Sentry, that he didn't know what it was, and as far as he knew, it was just a piece of scrap metal. He bought it for two hundred and tried to sell it for twenty. Or twenty thousand, yes. But twenty thousand would also be ten times almost the amount that Seg and Kem raised doing their scam, which they thought was a pretty good scam on in the pilot. And so I'm kind of like, wait, seems pretty close to dollars to me. Yeah, but it's just to me, I'm just like, if if that is close to dollars, that's fair. But at the same time, it means you're asking $20,000 for a, a, a piece of metal the size of an apple that you don't know what it is or what it does. Uh, it all really depends. I mean, you can look at it. I mean, it, it's pretty close to dollars or euros or something like that. It's not rupees. Yeah. Well, and, and, and again, that's, that's it's... That's all I can really throw, out, throw out there. But the main thing for me is that these people are still living in a capitalist society when... Everything that we know about societies should say that they should not be capitalist anymore, but they still have a black market where not only do they have a black market, but their black market still works within the white market. Yeah, and again, it's it's a really interesting – I'm wondering if you pay close attention to the dialogue, if there's a difference between solars and credits because they've used those two different phrases uh, it seems interchangeably, but I know for a fact that it was credits in the bar and then solars in the black market. And so I'm wondering if there's some thing that we haven't gotten into yet where there's an under, you know, it's still electronic and it's still traceable, but it's like cryptocurrency or some crazy thing. Yeah, solars are getting drugs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, oh, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, fist bumps are a thing on Krypton. Uh, yes. Which was a nice little bit of business, actually. The the fact that they rebuffed Adam, and essentially, you, as an as an audience member, and also obviously as Adam, the assumption is, oh, so fist bumps aren't a thing here, because why would they be a? But b, he's from Earth, and so like anything that they don't just roll with 
it's like of course they aren't going to roll with that it's an alien tech it's an alien culture and then as soon as he turns his back they do the fist bump and i i, I didn't catch that the first time i watched this episode i had to catch it on the rewatch and i was just like oh i like that <laughs> uh the, the way i see it if a species has fists they have fist bumps chimpanzees have fist bumps come on son Oh, sorry. That's, Come on. I'm in the wrong. Come on. That's my wrong podcast. <laughs> but uh, but that's that's for me and John to talk about our, in our uh, evolution podcast. Okay. Yeah. Well, see, I, I was making a psych reference because when they do psych bumps or when they do oh, fist bumps, okay, Dulé Hill says, "Come on, son." Uh, <laughs> sorry about. No, that. no, no. It's fine. Uh, but uh, that's a uh, that was a that was a fun thing, and then. Uh, like I said, I really, I really like the way that they. First of all, this episode had a lot of things going on, and they were all kind of elaborate, and they had to fit together in a very particular way. And I think they did a good job of that. I do think that because they did such a good job of fitting all those pieces together, it felt a little bit more sterile than the previous two episodes had felt, because it felt like they had to be very precise in some of the things they were doing in a way that they hadn't. Uh, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, it it does. I mean, having just watched last night's Walking Dead episode where they just jumped entire plot points. Mm-hmm. And I love that show, too. Yeah, I know. And I really want to enjoy it and keep watching it. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to keep watching it. But, wow, they just jumped all these plot points. And Kryp- Krypton's doing better than that right now. But maybe just because it's in season one. When Krypton gets into season nine, we, we can talk about that in those terms but uh yeah that's uh, that was a thing that i noticed and and i i kind of i feel like this episode dragged a little bit i think that this episode was technically better in terms of proficiency than the previous two episodes but i think that it also dragged a little bit because it lacked some visceral energy that the first two had uh fair enough uh, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't really feel any slowness to it, but you know, different different reactions. Yeah, and again, I'm not. I'm, I'm certainly not being definitive. I'm just saying this is the impression I got. Uh, right. I, I I didn't feel like the action slowed down or or like the story slowed down. I I, I just felt as though there was less to establish. There, there was more to move forward. Mm-hmm. And that's a good way to say it. there was a lot of moving forward and and again there was a lot of interconnecting pieces there where it's like bits of the rankless initiative wouldn't have wor- or bits of the brainiac story wouldn't have worked if the rankless initiative wasn't going on right now and things like that uh right and and at the same time we got 2 seconds of actual brainiac at the end mm-hmm. i'd like to see him have a, a bigger presence in the next episode and if he's not a major player by episode 6 I'm gonna lose interest. It's it. It'll be well. Say again. I was gonna say he's he's our big bad at the end of the series. So, well, yeah, but he's still got to be a big bad by the middle of the series, or else by the end of the series he will have lost traction. I, I wonder if maybe the uh, the on Krypton plots will come to a head. Uh, you know, a couple of episodes before right, Brainiac. But- like, but you can't just have Darkseid show up and take the body of Lionel Luther in the last episode. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I do think that, as, especially in a 10-episode season, as long as each episode is is interesting and the stories are compelling, and as long as 
Okay, so let's say, you know, they go on a doomsday tangent for two episodes or something, and it might not have anything directly to do with Brainiac, but as long as it feeds into Brainiac's master plan in some way and or it informs the Brainiac subplot in some way, I feel like the fact that Brainiac wasn't, like, the main character of those two episodes isn't a problem. Right, but if he doesn't show up by halfway through Act 2, I've lost interest in who this villain is. Mm -hmm. He he needs to to show up. I, I can I'm going to hold you to that, Jeff. I'm going to see what happens in episode six. I say, okay, Jeff, here we are. <laughs> if he's Do not a major care? player by episode six, even if he's quelled and put under for an episode or two so that they can then move, you know, towards these side stories and then come back, then, then that's fine. But if he's not part of it by episode six, that's a problem. That's, that's why you bring in Voldemort in book four. That's why you bring in ah that I, I'm just trying to think in terms of a trilogy, in terms of a quadrilogy, in terms of, of 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 anything, the major villain needs to be a huge part of it by halfway through. We're now at the end of episode three out of ten, and we've just seen him for real for the first time for two seconds. If he's not a big part by episode six. Where he's something that they have to be dealing with him, even if he's somewhat undercover, I'm going to be losing interest, and I think that's poor storytelling. I'll I'll be interested in seeing how how it shapes up. I'll also be interested in seeing how you react to the next couple of episodes because I I I don't want to get into what does or doesn't happen over the next couple episodes, but I I there's a there's a lot that goes on, and I'm kind of giddy to see how you guys react to it. Okay, it's all speculation on 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 my part. Yeah, yeah. But there are things that that I want to see and things that I need to see to continue interest in terms of any semblance of classical storytelling. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to throw this out there. We do have episode titles up through five. Yes. Should I, should I read them off just to kind of get a feel for where we're going? Uh, I haven't seen it, so so go for it. Yeah. Like, just titles. So. Um, Actually, this might go through. Yeah, this goes through six. So next episode is the Word of Rao. Mm-hmm. That's four. Episode five is House of Zod. Mm-hmm. Episode six is Civil Wars. Which six probably gives you a pretty solid sense of where that's going. <laughs> uh, that is actually not an episode title I had heard uh, yet. So it, I don't know if you want to cut those episode titles. No, I, no, I don't it's know fine. If spoilers or no, that, but. Um, Hey, that kind of gives us a feel for where they're going. Yeah, I, I I think that the the relationship between like it it makes sense for five to be called House of Zod because the relationship between um Anna Bomo's character who I can't remember she used to be Allura now she's not now she's um but anyway Mama Zod uh, Primus Zod the relationship between Primus Zod and her daughter was such a big thing and it was it was actually mostly set up and not quite so much payoff in 102 and then for this episode to be largely without that dynamic it makes total sense that if episode 5 is going to be you know that either 4 or 5 was going to pick up that ball and run with it yeah yeah we're going to need to see um the ramifications of her choices in this episode mm-hmm. Jana thank you yeah, and how that plays out between the mother and the daughter, because that's and the commander and the lieutenant, because mm-hmm. that's um, 
she made some really unorthodox decisions here mm-hmm. that I feel like were morally and ethically the only thing she could have done. But I don't think it's going to go so well for her. Yeah. I also, uh, as as a note, because they said Primus a handful of times in this episode, I did want to kind of differentiate that between... And I, I don't know if it's a, a matter of showing the evolution of Kryptonian culture or if it's literally just them trying to avoid using the words General Zod. Because they have mentioned generals. <laughs> like, they've mentioned generals. And Primus Zod is in charge of the military guild. So... Well, let's deal with a specific Zod instead. Well, that's I, I think that's... <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> but But I think... I don't know if it's a matter of, like, we're showing the evolution of this society and that, you know, the as the theocracy starts to fall, we're going to change some of our terminology. Or if it's literally just as simple as it will confuse people if we refer to her as General Zod. So, you know, don't. I think that's likely the case. I mean, there are very few people out there who know that General Zod from uh, Man of Steel and Superman 2 and from the comics is Drew Zod. Right. D-R-U Zod. So very few people know him by that name, even as fans of Zod. Oh, yeah. So... So to call him General Zod, to call anybody General Zod without being so specific about it, right. would uh, would cause an issue or two. the 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 thing for me is, I I look back at past series. So if you take a look at Smallville, Smallville season four, they tried so hard to set up this story of these mystical stones that turned out to be. Uh, Kryptonian stones and they set them up throughout the entire season it was a 22 episode season and sometimes they would even have just like a scene that what that had to do with the stones that had nothing to do with the episode that they were doing and it took that long just to put together the stones that they were talking about what they figured out by season 5 just one season later was that we cannot try and draw out a story for that long. And so you got Brainiac for the first, what, six, seven episodes, maybe even eight, and then he just disappeared. And then he came back, and then he disappeared again, and then he became part of the end of it. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of how to break this stuff up. And if you're going to have Brainiac be the primary villain, you need to bring him in and have him be a huge part of the story. And then if you need to break away again, you can do that. Mm-hmm. But they can't just draw it out and have him show up in like episode eight. They they can't draw it out that long. I don't think that they will, but also I I, I do think that – like I, I don't think that Brainiac's presence in this episode, for instance, was small. Because obviously everything that they were doing in the whole kind of Team L half of the episode was... Right, Brainiac was a huge part of season five, even even in episodes he wasn't in, but he wasn't the main crux of the episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to revisit this, because I feel like we're kind of going in circles at the moment, but I, we'll, have to, oh, okay. we'll have to revisit mm-hmm. it when it gets a little closer, because I do... Uh, Sorry, I'm just trying to hammer in my No, I, I, I totally understand... part of the story right away. I totally understand where you're coming possible. from, and I don't 100% disagree, but I do think that the way that they've handled it so far, in terms of, even if he's not physically there, he's clearly shaping the narrative. 
make gives me a little bit of uh, like I, I'll go a little easy on them for that. Okay, as long as it's not just parasites and stuff. Oh, I don't think he's going to be in this. Okay, the, the, no, no. I mean, the the, para, the brainiac parasite from this episode was a really cool way to go about keeping brainiac part of the story without bringing brainiac directly into the story yet, because they got to build to that, and I think that's great. That that's what I meant by parasite, not the parasite. I know. I was just having fun. Okay, sorry. That's all right. I thought you, I thought you were taking me literally. No, no, no. I okay. I'm just an asshole. So. <laughs> But, uh, all right. Any- well, that's how I spell your name. Oh, that's why I don't get the emails. That's true. Gotcha. Uh, all right. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? I feel like we've kind of wandered quite a bit, but all my notes have been hit. Um, I have hit all of my points. I really enjoyed this episode, but it, it was a little bit predictable, but some things had to happen. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, like, like I said, there's a lot of, like, interconnected parts that I felt like had to just play out. My only thing is I want to see Kryptonian servant robots. Uh, I, I, I want to see a Kelex. Kelex, Kelex. I've always pronounced it Kelex, but Man of Steel movie made it Kelex. Well, that's I would, crazy I, Australians. I mean, they, yeah, I, I, I would like to see something that is classically Kryptonian beyond what we've seen so far that could build upon what we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but Have we seen any wealthy same- domiciles yet? Like any of the rich people's homes? We've seen bits and pieces of uh, Darren Vex's home. Because remember uh, last episode, Nissa was trying on dresses when uh, Seg came to see her. Okay, so I was thinking that would be a good place to have it is like if we go to some rich person's house, yeah, maybe they would have a robot that they wouldn't have, you know, in the office. Yeah, I actually I – I hadn't thought about how analog a lot of this world is. I almost wonder if that does lend some bearing to Jeffrey's idea that, that Brainiac may have been part of Krypton and then left and now is back. Because if in, – in a world that clearly has some fairly advanced technology, the fact that they choose to have like – Handmaidens for the voice of Rao uh, likely says something about their priorities. I just prefer that Brainiac comes from Krypton for a big ongoing story like this, and if that needs to be a big reveal at some point, I, I think that's also outstanding. But to just have him come from some other alien planet that we're never really going to get to deal with in any serious way, like he came from Kalu. I don't think that that's going to have any nearly the impact that it would have if Brainiac originally came from from Krypton. Maybe I don't know how many thousands or millions of years ago. If I had, but the sorry, yeah, you go. First. I was just going to say, if I had to guess, uh, and again, this is not based on anything I know about upcoming episodes. This is just my gut. Uh, if I had to guess, we will either get something that ties his backstory with Krypton, or uh, they'll build him up as essentially Galactus. He'll be a cosmic force of nature, and not. I don't think that we'll ever see him tied specifically to Kalu or anything like that. I think that it will be either he's got some tie to Krypton's past, or he doesn't, but that's okay because he's just a monster. 
So I think that we've hit the we want Kryptonian relationships with Brainiac thing. I, I think we've hit that nail just about from every possible angle. I actually, I, yeah, the, the, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not totally sure. I want it. I just, I don't disagree that I think no, it might. I, I yeah. know, I know, but 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 that that, I that, want that it. concept has has been very very thoroughly exp- yeah. uh, explored so yeah. far in this episode. Yeah, the the last thing I have to say about any of that is that I am kind of, I mean, it makes sense in terms of. Uh, the way that we as human beings on Earth are watching this show that is made by human beings on, on Earth. But I just don't think that any sort of advanced society like this would be this level of capitalist with as much emphasis on the 1%. Well, I think that is part of what this whole season is about. I mean, I, I don't think that that's a, I don't think that in a, a world that's increasingly stratified, they're gonna kill off all the plebes. No, I think that I think that one? I think that you're building towards a more egalitarian society through the revolution that that Seg kind of promised in his opening monologue of the pilot. Don't have much time to do it. Well, I don't. I I, I mean, I, if I had to guess, probably you're going to see if if we're going to see some kind of revolution, it will probably be the the finale. And that'll lead into a potential season two so that it, cause, cause then what you could do is you could essentially end on that note and say, Hey, that's a great note to end on because obviously the revolution represents hope and represents change and represents all these things. And if we don't get a second season, then we don't have to show how we got from point A to B. All we have to have is that hope. Whereas if it then gets a second season, it gives you a whole different setup for them to explore that doesn't necessarily right, tie back to the... that is a neat idea. Okay. But, so that, that'd be my guess. I, I don't disagree with you about the, about your, like, the analysis that you're making, but I think that they're doing it on purpose. I think that they're, they're doing it to a point. I'm not convinced about that, but I'm willing to withhold until we get there. All right. Uh, John, do you want to start us around the room? Uh, where can people find you on the World Wide Web? Um, I tweet at John Reads Comics, and I am launching a Marvel podcast at the end of this month. Whenever you all go see Avengers Infinity War, um, that day on your podcast feed, if you are subscribed to Make Hours Marvel, will be the first episode of a weekly show examining the um, early days of the Marvel Universe. Um all of it, because who needs boundaries when you can podcast? <laughs> Jeffrey? Well, you can find me uh, on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast co-hosted by Michael Bailey, which is easiest to find at uh, fortressofbailey2.com. We're also on iTunes and a number of other places, podcasters and whatnot. Um, I'm also sort of a in the side, but still kind of pop up here and there on the Superman homepage, which is the number one Superman fan site in the world. If you Google Superman, it should be one of the first things that you find up there. And I recommend that you check that out for anything that you ever want to see about Superman. Um, Henry Cavill did a lot of his online research about Superman on that page, or that's what he told me that time that I talked to him. It's one of the five times. Anyway, that's where you can find me. I'm really not doing much else besides that on the interwebs these days. All right, and you can find me on Twitter as well, at Russ Burlingame, or if uh, that's too hard to spell, which it often is, 
at ECV underscore podcast, which is the Emerald City video podcast where I talk about movies with people who used to work with me at a video store. ECV also kind of underwrites the panel discussions podcast that you're currently listening to. And so if you subscribe to uh, either of the two shows, they will constantly be sharing content back and forth. So thank you everybody for listening. Uh, you should like, rate, share, subscribe, you know, put a message in a bottle, do smoke signals, whatever it is you kids do these days. You your iPods and your Tide Pods and your whatever kind of pods is next. Well, I'm about to go do some smoke signals. There you go. There you go. That's very that's much appreciated. Although be careful in in your part of the country that the, the fires are a problem. That's okay. My we, dog will put them out. And be careful not to inhale. Also true. Yeah, I'm I'm in no relation to a Clinton, so. Huh. All right, and thank you everybody for listening. We'll be back next week to talk more uh, the word of Rao. We need more people to be on this so they can laugh when I say something funny. <laughs> I smiled. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody.